0: learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America
1: Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in health care-related
2: fields to keep you a beat ahead.
0: The new Civil Liberties Alliance, NCLA, which Columbia Legal Scholar Philip Hamburger, founded in 2017, cheekily describes itself as a civil libertarian alternative to the ACLU that actually cares about the rights in the Constitution. It therefore may seem surprising that two California chapters of the ACLU have joined the NCLA in opposing a new California law that expands the state board medical boards authority to discipline doctors for quote unprofessional conduct that alliance is less surprising once you read california assembly bill 2098 which threatens to punish physicians for sharing covid 19 quote misinformation with their patients the law which is scheduled to take effect this past January 1st, describes misinformation as advice contradicted by contemporary scientific consensus and open invitation to suppression of constitutionally protected speech. So there it is. straight. That was uh, quoted from the New York Post. But uh, last year, the awful, horrendous uh, legislature in California, which is uh, flying it the plane to the crash site as soon as they can get it there. Uh, they, they are seeking to silence us and people that know the truth and are willing to share the truth, they're seeking to silence us. And even the ACLU and uh, the Columbia Legal Scholar Hamburgers, NCLA, to uh, silence doctors so that we cannot tell the truth because the quote-unquote consensus scientific consensus. It's uh, its absurd. It's uh, amazing that uh, here we are in America in 2023, but then again, um, a lot has been revealed. Thankfully, in the last week or two, more and more has been revealed showing the absurdities of those in charge. Jordan, uh, what do you think about this new bill they're trying to impose on us?
1: Well, I think the interesting thing was, as much as the bill did pass, obviously, on the same, I think that same day of passage, two doctors, McDonald uh, is one of them, actually uh, basically sued against it, saying this uh, again is an attack on their free speech. Uh, obviously, as a physician, um, our duty is to the patient. But even as an individual, as a human, um, we have never been compelled, at least in the United States, to speak against our will. And I think that's one of the things that has to be found here. But interestingly enough, I'm going to play a little clip from this hearing that occurred on July 17th, just to show you how absurd it is. This is the deputy uh, attorney general uh, for the state of California. uh, And she makes an argument uh, on why uh, they need this. And I'm going to play this for you right now.
2: ...has been regulated. In order to effectively regulate the practice of medicine, the state needs to be able to reach the aspects of speech that are
1: used to care for patients. And that can, in some cases, be advice. So again, Stuart, basically what she was saying is in order to effectively regulate the practice of medicine, the state needs to be able to reach the aspects of speech that are used to care for the patient. Um, first of all, that's almost, I can't even describe it really. its It's, I don't know if it would be Orwellian, but um, if caring for patient means that the state's speech is the one that you care about, uh, I'm not really sure what what doctors are needed for anymore. Do you?
0: No. Yeah. Let's just follow the algorithm that only the government can have uh, access to determining. Yep. That's right.
1: Yeah. So uh, to me, I think this was just again another example that, um, you know, as I think. McCullough's already said, you know, health freedom or freedom in healthcare is uh, one of the, he would call them circles uh, that determine um, your ability to have freedoms in other places. And I think that's never been more true as we sit here and think about it, because, you know, if they determine what is truth and what is fact in the scientific world, um, then pretty much every other decision in every other world is gonna be made for us. And uh, even if it's contrary to what we know as real. And I think the other thing that's never been more real is the fact that um, we're starting to see even more that what was told to us about COVID in terms of its origin is continuing to unravel. Origin folks are
0: um,
1: running for the hills.
0: Yeah, it's, that to me is one of the keys to the foundations of uh, how wrong they have been. Um, and it's been obvious from the start, and even Fauci knew it as the emails revealed last week. But, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of the story in the Bible when the high priest, uh, they were, uh, he had a bunch of these um, militant people under him that were wanting to, to uh, kill the followers of Jesus. And he said, wait a minute, you know, if he is God, eventually uh, he's right, of course. And if he's not, it will reveal itself and it will implode on its own. Uh, these people have so they have even more hubris than the priests that murdered Christ. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, this is not surprising, the hubris of these fools, Um It's just amazing that they just cannot get out of their own way time and time again. And I remember 20 plus years ago when we were using Vioxx, I was using Vioxx and I noticed before it was uh, outlawed and withdrawn what it was doing to a patient's blood pressure. And so I stopped using it. Well, if I would have made a statement to a patient of mine saying, you know, I've noticed that... uh, increases your blood pressure, might increase your blood pressure, so I'm not going to use it. Well, um, that's misinformation. And, um, you know, so I can't, I should have used Viox until it went down in a death spiral uh, before the courts. Um, but there are countless examples of stuff like this where these people won't, uh, they won't uh, acknowledge that they're a bunch of fools that support bad things especially in the time and age, it looks like uh, last week, somebody was uh, talking, who knows if it's true or not, that they're looking to impeach uh, not only Eric Holder for his lies and cover-ups of the Bidens, but also um, uh, Fauci. You mean
1: Merrick Merrick Garland? Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: But uh, Fauci, for his lies, uh, they're so so blatant um, before the Senate um, Health Committee. Uh, it's just where do these people stop? They stop when we're dead, I guess. I don't know when they're going to stop their insistence on control.
1: Well, I think it's a, again, foundational argument to me that administrative bureaucracy, um, is never held accountable truly. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, um, it's kind of a terrible way to administer things because it just breeds corruption. Um, I'd make the same argument, even it's kind of embarrassing to uh, America front front line doctors, but just reading the article that was in the Sunday paper uh, in the Financial Times about um, uh, Dr. Gold, uh, and just again, I mean, when you have a bunch of people that are inundated with a bunch of money, um, poor decisions are made. I think that's true regardless of which side you're on. Does that make sense? So it influences. It influences your, um, it, again, money, power, it, they corrupt. And uh, that's why, uh, you know, our founders were smart enough to realize that an overly centralized government just led to totalitarianism in a sense. So,
0: Yeah, no question it does. And it always has, always will. Uh, I guess that these bright, these super bright people who don't even know what a woman is are going to be the ones governing it now. Um, which is even scarier. But uh, (laughs) there'll be more, a lot more damage to millions and billions of more people. So... uh,
1: Yeah, sometimes the answer is to stop and unravel what you're doing because it didn't work, I think, sometimes. But again, in government, no one wants to um, get rid of their own job a lot of times.
0: Yeah, and a concern I have with a lot of times when you have a legal case like this is... Uh, we'll probably win on the case before the, um, the court. But the courts will somehow sh- uh, carve out an area that limits our speech. You know, they give with the left hand, they take away with your, their right hand. Uh, so these kind of cases should just be dismissed out of hand. And, uh, you know, people should be able to say what they need to say.
1: Yeah, the weird, the weird thing about what the uh, girl was arguing... Uh, the uh, deputy attorney general there Um, on addition, she really actually said, you know, I'm not limiting what doctors can say outside the clinic. They can be on Twitter, they can do whatever, but she was saying it's only when they interact with patients, which I thought was really weird because to do that, um, you know, I'm not really sure. I guess that's when she started, you know, anyway, goes to the kind of just absurdity of having a law like this in the first place First of all, it's, it's crazy anyway. But second of all, if you can say what you believe on the outside and then you can't say what you believe on the inside, meaning like when you're talking to the patient, um, I don't I mean, what, what's the point?
0: Yeah, I guess I'm going to have to start putting a microphone in my uh, exam room and uh, recording everything I say to every patient who cares about their privacy uh, yeah. so that nobody can accuse me of saying anything against uh, uh Goebbels and Hitler's, uh, mandates, uh, it's really just a bizarre, bizarre thing. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's again, I mean, and it goes also to what the, I think true point of, um, a lot of these administrative agencies or even laws are, uh, I mean, when you defend them in front of the court, like this, uh, deputy attorney general did I mean, it's pretty apparent that the point of the law, was to stifle speech because um, the likelihood that they would ever be able to utilize the law for any kind of practical purpose is probably very low because it's probably impossible to prove. But what they do is they put a law on the books that scares people and they get the effect uh, in a similar way. I think that's one of the things uh, we see with a lot of laws. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but. Once again, the reason, the scientific method, all are to be thrown out the window. Uh, The integrity of our profession has been destroyed and and will take generations to rebuild from the last three and a half years. It has been revealed over the last three and a half years because it's clearly been there. You know, when JAMA came out a couple of years ago saying that uh, wokeness is a part of our obligation you just realize that we have we are way far off the reservation.
1: Yeah, it's again. I think um, our agencies are, in a sense, even our in associations are laughable, even compared to Europe, who typically is way ahead of us um, in terms of their progressiveness. Uh, they've maybe they've already been there and came back, but um, it's pretty funny when they you compare what our agencies are saying now and our associations. Um, they uh, appear to, like, not even exist in the same um, reality that we exist in. So
0: yeah, And I thought that we had a physician shortage in our country. And so if I have a situation where uh, I ask two experts, two specialists, to, to, you know, for their opinion on something and they differ, which one's uh, misinforming the patient and me? Well, it could be both of them. Uh, it could be both of them are right in a weird way, but uh, the point is that if they were, if I decide against one and for another one and proceed with one of their, um, ad, one of their advice, then I am, then uh, am I stuck in the misinformation loop? Uh, it's uh, it, it's everything you look at, every way you look at this, it's insane, which has become a very common word that we used in the last three and a half years
1: yeah it takes truly I mean again just it takes a very blinded or what I would call religious devotion to something to be uh, that outlandish in terms of limiting rights in a certain area I think it's again insanity I mean or or, uh, cult following I guess is (laughs) another part of that, too. so.
0: Yeah, I um, uh, had, had an interesting event um, uh, recently. My wife uh, ran across a lady whose um, husband's a physician in town, and they were talking, and uh, she kind of was irritated. She mildly somewhat irritated uh, that uh, I had been speaking out against the narrative. Uh, it turns out that one of their children... Has a uh, newly diagnosed, uh, well, not new, but uh, fairly recently diagnosed lymphoma, and has had uh, four COVID shots. Uh, there's no yeah. correlation, of course, to to those two issues, but uh, it's it's just tragic the blindness that is so prevalent. Yeah, it's. Oh, and then okay. a week. Ago, yeah. Then a week ago, we had a 12-year-old do- uh, girl who woke up dead. Uh, young, young child woke up dead, uh, and don't know why. Can't imagine what it's all about. But it certainly wasn't the vaccine. I'm sure.
1: Yeah. Even actually, there was a um, article in uh, the uh, UK paper yesterday on the in Sunday saying that. They need to explain the rise, sudden rise of um, of the uh, excess mortality deaths in in Britain, or else uh, conspiracy theory, theories might develop.
0: Yeah, might develop. Mm. Yeah, seems like an intentional uh, um, abdication of their responsibilities. The uh, foolishness of the government has been on uh, clear display the last. Three and a half years. Um, And there's no support for people like us, even though we have all the data, we continue to spout the data. Like our long discussion last week was uh, with regards to uh, C19study.com. You know, we have all these websites and all the facts, the facts, the facts, the facts. But uh, they have the CDC and Anthony Fauci. Um, So, They trump all the facts with uh, their demands and money. Uh, Yeah.
1: All right. Well, again, this is Dr. Jordan Vaughn, Dr. Stuart Takersley with America Out Loud Pulse. We will be back. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein
0: from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order.
2: For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health. Naturally.
0: Well, the Out Loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. A wide spectrum of programming from world and political news to societal, your health, and cultural stories. Seven amazing years of news stories, informative podcasts, and great talk radio. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all.
1: All right, welcome back. This is Dr. Jordan Vaughn. I am uh, pleased to have uh, Cheryl Atkinson, a famed uh, investigative journalist, uh, here with me today. I uh, was had the pleasure of uh, being uh, with her and interviewing some of my patients uh, yesterday, and I thought it'd be great to have her on and just talk a little bit about how she got in, first of all, to investigative journalism and more, ex- you know, more explicitly a kind of How she has uh, looked at this medical industrial complex, or what I would call the the industry that we, uh, me and Dr. Tinkersley practice in every day, and how it's been, from what me and Dr. Tinkersley think, is corrupted. So Cheryl, thanks for thanks for being here.
2: Thank you for having me. Appreciate what y'all do. Well, give me kind of a little background. I know
1: I was talking to you yesterday in terms of your kind of uh, entry into some of the scientific world, not being so scientific.
2: Well, I was assigned to look at some sort of medical misbehavior as a CBS News investigative correspondent in the early 2000s. It came, started with the um, diabetes medicine Resilin, which was ultimately pulled off the market for liver damage. My stories were credited with having it pulled off the market. However, I will give credit to um, an LA Times reporter, David Wilman, who really had been covering that for a year prior to me uh, getting the story on television. But it turns out that um Medical stories like that have everything in common with the other scandals that I had covered with whistleblowers and government and corporate misconduct and so on. And as I got deeper and deeper, assigned to more stories, I saw how many there were to follow. And CBS News encouraged them initially, whether it was reporting on vaccine, autism link cover ups, or other vaccine issues, or other medical problems and how they were handled. And what went on behind the scenes? So it became a, a huge area of interest. I approach it not as a med- medical science reporter, because I'm not, but as a inve- an investigative reporter who finds similar components, and maybe that's that gives me a sort of a benefit in covering these issues because sometimes the medical and scientific reporters are overlooking or not seeing these really important issues.
1: Yeah. So um, give me an idea of when you actually started looking into that kind of stuff. Did you get much pushback? Are, are, our whole thing is really, uh, you know, I think the media in a lot of ways is dependent on money from pharmaceutical industry. So anything that looks negative on them, um, and that's how the whole industrial complex kind of works, because they're all kind of buddy-buddy. But um, initially, you said they were interested. But then when it got to things that were more, I guess, sacrosanct, they they pushed away. Is that true?
2: Well, yes. But um, the timing was interesting, because looking back, when I first started covering the stories, the pharmaceutical industry had not taken over media and government to the degree that it had has today. And I was assigned to cover the stories. I knew nothing about them, but my executive producer at the time understood they were hugely impactful and affected pretty much everybody, particularly when you talk about medicine and vaccines. And so they encouraged them. And during that time, looking back, the. Media, that. Yeah. The media industries were partnering behind the scenes with the pharmaceutical industry to lobby members of Congress to uh, to loosen restrictions on to direct-to-consumer ads, which led to ultimately this huge partnership you speak of where the pharmaceutical industry has been able to, in essence, legally buy out everybody by buying so many ads on their forums that um, they directly or indirectly control the content. So there was a switch over a time during which my executive producer still wanted the stories Encourage them, but there was pushback and phone calls when I was reporting on problems with statin cholesterol-lowering drugs. We were getting calls from the advertising department. I didn't know about this at the time, but you, they would start to get squishy on stories that they wanted, or maybe certain people wanted them at the network, but there would be a feeling after they aired that something was wrong, even though they were like some of the best stories I had ever covered, and, and ultimately got to the point where that expanded beyond the pharmaceutical industry to other topics whereby the the news is wholly controlled uh, in terms of controversies and stories that we can cover. And I ended up quitting CBS News ahead of my contract because I couldn't report in an honest way on important stories and controversies. And I now have my own independent TV program where I still continue to try to do that. So I
1: was talking to one of your producers yesterday and he was, you know, I, I feel like one of the problems in medicine right now is a lot of top down, like this is what we want and then push out the answers or push out the stories or push out. Is that how, do you feel like that kind of shape is where media has gone to? Is that the, and he, he kind of agreed uh, that it was more here's, here's, here's what we want it to, to say, go find stories about it. Is that- yes.
2: um, I've written three books that touch on this and, and I I termed it in one uh, chapter that said, it got to the point where we would be told by certain managers instead, I used to be able to tell them, here's the story, here's what I found, and they would be delighted. Whatever they thought the story was, they were happy to hear what the story really was when you went out in the field. But it, it got turned upside down and got to be the point that at the beginning of the day, certain managers would say, here's your story. We need to find people who will say the following. They would give phrases and sound bites that you had to fill in the blank. And if you didn't, they wouldn't air the story or they wouldn't air the soundbite for the story, even when you said to them, and other reporters complained too, even when you said, "Well, your conception of what's what's happening or what is the case isn't true. You know, I'm here, and here's what what's really happening. they they would, as I said, write little movies or movie plots in the morning and decide how something had to look and be, and you had to just go fill in the blanks. And I ended up saying, well, first of all, it's dishonest, but second of all, you can hire some kid to do that, pay them, you know, in, in my business, $90,000 a year. You don't have to pay what you pay me to do it because it doesn't take a brain, you know, to, to do that kind of reporting. I'm trying to br- bring news of value and interesting, important stories and information to people. And they they don't want that now. They want to fill in the blanks to serve a certain agenda, either how they feel, or sometimes these are people who have been hired into the news agencies by And for propagandists and industries. And so they're perfectly happy to, you know, they're fine with being accused of putting out propaganda or something that's not true because they're not journalists and their goal is to get a certain message out. Yeah. So tell me
1: a little bit. I know you've done some look into kind of the peer review and academic world. Um, From an investigative journalist standpoint, do you feel like that is um, as much of a a perfect world that uh, produces great science that? Uh, they, uh, all the academics seem to report.
2: Well, it's scandalous. And when I read some years ago that Richard Horton, the editor-in-chief of the British journal Lancet, as well as the former editor uh, of the New England Journal of Medicine, um, gosh, her name just went out of my head. Darn it. I'll think of it in just a second. Both of them said and wrote about how most, much or most of the science in the most esteemed peer-reviewed medical journals, they themselves said could not be trusted because the process of studies and of publishing have been so co-opted by the pharmaceutical industry and special interests, whether we're talking about ghostwritten you know, articles that are actually produced by industry, but then laundered through a legitimate sounding scientist name who's paid a few thousand dollars to sign something he didn't write, um, just every kind of scandal you can think of. And so I look at studies as a layperson a lot differently than medical doctors. And it's scary that our doctors rely on them so much because- I think more often than not, I look at studies as propaganda put out by the medical establishment that often is not to be believed. And I, I learn how to kind of look for studies sometimes outside the specialty that may be more insightful into something going on in a specialty. You know, studies published in an, uh, an off journal rather than in the main journal you would expect. I look at studies that are attacked in the media to see. Maybe those have something very true, but sensitive to the powerful what, what, Where are the grains of truth there? And I even look, sometimes it's simple for someone like even me to look at data and what a study concludes and what the headline is and see that it conflicts wholly with the message that's being put out about that very study. I also was frightened by the notion that I had scientists explain to me many years ago that the process of publishing and science is so controlled now It's only funded by the ones who want to put out positive things by and large, um, on a product. And when they find out a product doesn't do something positive or is negative or could hurt people, they won't publish the study. So there's no way it's very hard to unearth dangerous or safety information about medicine these days, because that stuff won't be published. And if it happens to get published, The industry and government who partner together will put out so many contrary studies just to confuse the issue that people won't know what to think. And I'm looking into and challenging a couple of studies now related to COVID that I believe are bogus or wrong. And I'm trying to demand they be corrected or retracted from the journals. It's a very difficult process. Even when our tax money is used for studies, they're able to keep secret. I don't know how. The names of the peer reviewers, so you can't check for conflicts of interest. They may say at Columbia, for example, that their study funded by U.S. taxpayer money. They don't have to publish the data or provide it because they're a private college slash hospital. And so our money, our tax money is being laundered through third parties by being given to a place that then publishes something that's questionable that you can't get the data to see. And you can't find out you know, who's behind it. So it's just really a mess.
1: I wonder. I mean, the thing that's really, and I will tell you, shocked me is. You know, initially, um, even in the vaccine story, once I saw how this uh, COVID vaccine, uh, the process that it went through to get uh, what I'd say is emergency use authorization and then ultimately license, um, somebody said, Jordan, if, if that's the, you know, I was upset about it. And this, I thought this was all duplicitous. I said, well, what if I told you that was the way the sausage is always made? Um, and in the same thing, what's recently come out about proximal origins and all the cabal of scientists that basically were trying to protect their hides, um, their own hides, sorry. Um, but it, it was interesting how they discovered it and did a lot of FOIA requests for government officials and finding the emails back and forth. I wonder if that's an um, interesting way to maybe, exp- maybe that's the one nice thing about the government being involved in all this. We could we could uh, investigate it on that side too. I know a lot of it doesn't always flow through the halls of the NIH, but given that seems where all the money goes to- goes from, it seems like it would. But um, I don't know if you followed that story. It just is. It's fascinating to me. Again, if that's the way the sausage is made, it's, its again, I, I don't think I can trust anything. These
2: days. So, I agree. And I learned early on, you know, when you first start to understand and go down the rabbit hole of how vaccines are made and approved and so are not approved, actually, and through the formal process that you would expect, as I did in the early 2000s, you start to think, at least if you're mean, this can't be true. And you start reading things and talking to whistleblowers and other scientists and saying, well, what's happening? How do how do we not know this? And then you learn that that and more is true. And it's, it's just frightening because there is, I think people are more willing to believe and understand conspiracies at the highest level inside government and industry to make sure that we don't report or learn or know certain things. And as patients, they keep things hidden. I mean, One of the biggest scandals I ever covered was I have many admissions and documents and evidence showing the government acknowledging the link between vaccines and autism that they on paper deny. I have recordings. I have, again, court documents and studies and so on that, that prove otherwise. But one of the biggest scandals is when this issue first came to a vaccine court and the government had decisions that were against all the parents that were arguing the thousands and thousands of cases that even found their way to this court nobody knows about. The government was saying those parents were crazy and nuts and just imagining things that the vaccines could have done this to their children. And yet the government had behind the scenes secretly settled an, a really landmark case admitting that a child's vaccines caused her autism, but they paid off the family, sealed the case so other parents wouldn't know, and it wouldn't be a precedent. And they continued to lie to people in public you know, audaciously claiming that 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 hadn't happened. And then years later, just a couple of years ago, as I covered on my um, television show, the government who defends the vaccine industry, the way our system is set up, the government's lead witness, uh, a pediatric neurologist who's quite famed at Johns Hopkins, who is defending the vaccines all these years, said that he came out years ago and told the government as as their expert witness that vaccines can cause autism after all, that he changed his opinion. He'd seen science and actual patients where this had happened. And he told them that, please don't misrepresent my opinion in these cases we're currently covering. I'm just letting you know that my opinion is changing. They fired him as an expert witness that weekend and continued to misrepresent him in court cases, pretending that he had never said any such thing. He signed an affidavit to this effect, um, a couple of years ago, nothing came of it. There was no investigation. There was no prosecution. I mean, this is just corruption at the highest level to me, but these are the sorts of things that go on that most people never know about. And that seems to be tolerated inside, you know, government and industry.
1: So what, what do you think to me is uh, the question would be what's driving it? Cause I will say, I mean, if you compare cancer therapies from the early nineties to today. I mean, they're, they're not even recognizable, but you're still doing the same disease. I mean, meaning you're, you know, you used to be cut and kill and now it's uh, changed the immune system. Right. Um, And that seems to be okay to fundamentally shift your understanding of how to, how to treat or prevent a disease. But in this area, it seems like it's literally, you can't even question the science that has not been changed. Meaning their understanding of, of our understanding of the immune system is immensely more uh more, more complex than we have ever even thought even 10 years ago yet the basic understanding of how we utilize vaccines to supposedly protect people hasn't changed and i don't understand why that area of medicine as we advance still cannot you know we can't go back and go hey well maybe we don't need to poke the bears often or maybe we need to poke it on a more you know limited basis uh, for some specific things that are a big issue. Instead, it seems, all right, we'll throw another one out there to fight another disease that no one seems to suffer from.
2: Well, this trillion dollar, multi-trillion dollar system that earns so much money for these companies is so codified globally, not just in the United States. The money made on vaccines that are sent and used in third world countries and so on to up in that system with a replacement, which ultimately there will be when they can make money off of some totally different drug that they they think is pervasive, that, you know, will work enough. At least they can say it works enough that can replace everything without questioning what they're currently doing. We will have a replacement at some point, but it's gotta be something that earns them the same kind of money or they're not going to do it. Yeah, I know that's so the, of-
1: the immunity gives them kind yeah. of unlimited the profit there. And then also it's, I mean, I guess in the replacement, it would also do this, but I always look at people and say, you know, there's nothing better than a drug that everyone who's healthy needs to take you know, (laughs) Um, versus something that people need to take when they're sick. You know, it's just a whole different.
2: And, and, you know, I think, again, we look at everything the wrong way. In my opinion, I've just started thinking about this. The whole emphasis is on cure for cancer, cure for cancer. And while that would be fantastic and money should be spent on that, wouldn't it be more important to also, or as important, to start identifying the factors that are causing so much cancer, likewise with chronic illnesses, and prevent them so, wouldn't it be better that if down the road you didn't have to cure people's cancer because you understood which chemicals and exposures in our food and environment and medicines are causing this explosion of chronic disorders that's killing our children and and ourselves? That we've you know never seen anything like this: the type two diabetes and the Crohn's disease and the pots, the autoimmune disorders, the skin, you know, psoriasis and rashes. All these autoimmune-related things that are happening to us have probably as as you know, more than I, I'm just, you know, kind of summarizing things I've read and learned, have multi-causes. It may be genetics combined with the vaccines that you got, or it may be genetics combined with the pesticides that you're drinking in your water or the, you know, the different exposures, which makes it harder to identify and easier to cover up. And instead of the government trying to gather the data and do the studies that would help us understand the vulnerabilities we have and the exposures, They simply throw their hands in the air and pretend none of it's happening and misdirect us to look at things like let's find a cure for cancer and be sure to get your vaccine instead of addressing America's real health problems, which are just exploding.
1: Yeah, I think in my in my world, the silver lining of some of the covid is is allowing me to understand small vessels. And that's the cool thing about it, because when we identified at a young age that these people have small vessel issues, those are things that we can intervene or risk modify. So they don't become the president of their memory care center. You know, so that's the, that's kind of my goal, but it's cool to be able to do that because usually, again, an opportunity appears there, but yeah, the same thing needs to happen on the, on the other front. It's like, well, why did we get here? Looking back, what made this person more likely? Can we find that out earlier? Can we risk modify it going forward? But yeah, there's just not much of that done. So I, yeah, I, I I completely agree.
2: Well, Um, 20 years ago, ago, Dr. Bernadine Haley, the former heads of the National Institutes of Health. Told me that she too saw that vaccines cause autism, according to the literature that she also hadn't thought existed until she started researching, and then she saw that, um, according to her, her colleagues at the Institute of Medicine made a concerted effort to cover this issue up and not explore it because they understood when they asked the question about vaccines, they already knew where it would lead and what it would show, and they've they've made a conscious choice not to undermine. America's vaccine program or expose what's going on. But she said back then, and I'm sure it's truer now, that personalized medicine makes it possible to identify the factors and which children are most vulnerable to these exposures and change it. Either either pull them out from getting those particular vaccines that could harm them, give them autism, or even brain damage and kill them, or modify vaccines for those children so that they don't trigger those problems in those particular kids. But when you have a government and establishment that won't even admit there's an issue or try to make the vaccines better, you just end up with the same product and trying to hide, you know, more and more every day, all of the side effects that they're probably causing.
1: Yeah, no, I, um, that to me, I think it's, it, you have to admit there's a problem as I think me and one, one of the other things me and Stewart always talk about is that, you know, I think one of the things medicine is going to have to do to actually gain credibility again is to just repent and say we were wrong. But I, I don't think that's coming <laughs> anytime soon. So until then, uh it's going to be uh, a tough go at it. So anyway, Cheryl, thank you so much for uh, for being on today. And thank you for uh, uh, for all you do in terms of just being a true investigative journalist and c- uncovering things that aren't always convenient or or go with the narrative. And that, I think that's uh a testament to you to stand up for what you've done.
2: Well, thank you for being a great source of information for people like me. And hopefully we can bring the more information we can bring to the public to help them make their decisions, the better.
1: Well, thanks so much, Cheryl. And uh, hope to talk to you soon.
2: Okay. Thank you.
1: Loud.
0: Out loud. Also, I'm Dr. Stuart Tankersley, and in this segment, we're going to talk about the, the situation with uh, America's hospitals. One of the alarming things that occurred over the past three and a half uh, years of this catastrophe is, uh, sadly, uh, we it's been clear that no longer are the... Churches and synagogues, uh, the most important um, entity in a community, nor are the schools. But number one on the list, proven to be the most important uh, uh, facility in a community, is the hospitals. And this is uh, tragic on many levels. But what has been the result of it? Well, we have been. going down the wrong road uh, at least for 20 years uh, since they changed the laws, so that basically it's very hard for a physician-owned hospitals to uh, occur. It's basically now uh, universities uh, gobbled them up or these huge conglomerates gobbled them up or HFA or whatever. These huge uh, companies gobbled them up. And then uh, what happens? Well, 20 years ago, when they changed the laws so that it's uh, hard for a physician owned hospital to make it, they swore to us that uh, things would be better, that uh, costs would go down and care would improve. Of course, the opposite is proven to be the case. So it uh, coincides with another uh, crazy thing that. Uh, Most states have, and that is a Certificate of Need board, whereby these uh, hospital systems uh, pay off, or lobby, excuse me, these people on boards, uh, the Certificate of Need board, and like what happened uh, a couple of decades ago here, the governor, former governor, went to prison as well as the uh, multimillionaire who was in charge of the fiasco, the bankrupt, the corrupt and bankrupt uh, um, rehab hospitals. I uh, forget, it. I'll remember his name in a minute, but he was out of Birmingham, still in prison, maybe. But uh, his certificate of needs, the government intrusion into health care, uh, at every turn seems to be uh, bad for patients, bad for the communities. And, of course, bad for patient, uh, for physician practices. Uh, I think it was 15 years ago, only a third of practices were owned by hospitals. And now it is 75 percent or uh, I think that was data from a couple of years ago. So they might be even more now. But what happened during COVID? uh makes me question whether we should even go down the road of physician-owned hospitals because of the, uh, dereliction of duty from the, over the, over the the pandemic. It was our Super Bowl opportunity. It was our, our time to shine. And, uh, we flat out put an egg on the board. Uh, we, we are an embarrassment to the, to any scientific profession. And uh, it is very sad that uh, we have sold our soul uh, for ill intent and uh, selfish intent uh, to the detriment of patients for the last decade or two. But also it's uh, the ill intent of um, it's uh, for decades we're going to pay the price because of the lack of trust that our profession has earned over the last three years uh, we have been unscientific uh, we've been uncaring uh, we've been unprofessional uh, we have demanded silence uh, that we've demanded that no nobody can dissent from the opinion of Air Fauci or uh, Collins, Francis Collins or people or Walensky or Burks All these sad fools have done such irreparable damage uh, to science at large, much less medicine. But there needs to be a corrective action, no doubt. In an article from Epic Times yesterday, I think it was yesterday, it was talking about, uh, I wanted to read some from it. The title was Hospitals Made More Money During COVID Pandemic. A study has shown that Uh, many hospitals raked in more money during the first two years of the COVID pandemic, partially due to an infusion of funds from the federal government, according to a new study. (laughs) Partially due to an infusion of funds. Uh, Largely due to an infusion of funds. About three quarters of the hospitals analyzed by researchers had a positive net operating income in 2020 and 2021. That was up about 12% from before the pandemic. A 12% increase is huge money. Um, Hospitals supposedly have been operating on a razor-thin edge, and here they get 12%. And what did they get 12% from For What did they do? They got 12% for um, taking patients as hostages, not allowing their loved ones to come and see them, shutting down urgent need for um, patient care. But uh, unfortunately, the scare and the fear that the hospitals were complicit with led to people dying at home. I had a patient whose mother fell and hit her head, uh, developed a headache after doing so one night, and he lived with his elderly mother, and uh, she refused to go to the hospital because she knew she would get COVID. She went there, she woke up dead the next day because of a subdural hematoma. Things like that happened a lot, um, and I don't blame people for not wanting to go when they're going to be treated like a prisoner where their loved ones can't, att- can't tend to them. By the way, that's a big point. If you ever go into the hospital or if your loved one ever goes into the hospital, it is best if uh, a loved one is with the patient because uh, patient care improves when they are there, but no, no, they weren't allowed. Um, and in fact, uh, several times patients told me the doctors never came in the rooms to see them anyways. Uh, they would report from the hall. Uh, but that's, you know, that's the insanity. That's the type of, uh, integrity that the medical profession, uh, now finds itself in. What a trap. What a disaster. So three quarters of the hospitals analyzed had a positive net operating income. Uh, 12% uh, increase from the pre-before the pandemic. The researchers also found that 68% of the hospitals recorded an improvement in the net net operating income from the poor uh, before the pandemic, with a median change of 4.4 million dollars. Two Two-third, over two thirds of hospitals, 4.4 4 million median change. The money making grew so much that some hospitals hit peak operating margins. Or, historic profitability, wow, what a disaster did they did they serve the public as the most important entity in a community did they do? Did they serve the public well? no, no, they did not time and time and time again, um, I heard patients telling about how catastrophic two years ago, or uh, maybe it was last summer. Uh, Two patients uh, had family members go to the local emergency room, and one waited over 70 hours. One waited over 100 hours on a gurney in the uh, emergency room because two or three of the floors were uh, empty because they couldn't pay the uh, nurses to fill up the floors. So patients were stuck in the emergency room in agony. It was just amazing. Very uncomfortable beds, of course. Oh, well, wonder if anybody's going to be held to account. Anyways, uh, that's the important question. While COVID-19 relief funding was largely allocated well to hospitals, there were some hospitals who curiously did far better during the pandemic, and much of this was due to COVID-19 relief funding. This was a Rand Corporation um, report. The size of the COVID relief was too large for many hospitals. And I can't wait for an honest assessment, good Lord willing, an honest assessment of which hospitals receive so much uh, to the uh, detriment of the majority of hospitals in the state, I, I would bet. Net operating income was defined as operating revenue minus operating expenses or a hospital's profit before taxes. During the pandemic, income included income included COVID-19 relief funding, such as payment from the Coronavirus Act. Relief and Economic Security Act, uh, CARES Act is what it was called. The bill, approved in bi- bipartisan votes and signed by President Trump, increased Medicare payments for the treatment of patients with positive COVID tests. It didn't matter if they were uh, uh, if they were uh, positive, uh, if they were symptomatic or not. Just as long as they had a positive test, uh, they got gargantuan increases in and pay for them, I think there was a study at a major university uh that uh, I was told by an orthopedist that uh of, they did a screening of forty four multi uh, multi um, motor vehicle accidents multi motor vehicle collisions, including uh, motorcycles uh, and also trauma victims from uh, gunshot wounds and it was a huge percentage like uh, over a third were positive, so automatically these gunshot wounds and and motor vehicle crashes uh, victims get uh, get uh, allow for a huge increase. I mean, a huge increase in pay to the hospital. Operating margin was defined as net operating income divided by operating revenues. The margin helps compare different sized hospitals because a hospital that earns four million on a 100 million in revenue would have the same 4% margin as a hospital with an income of 32 million on 800 million in revenue. Researchers took the data from the Rand Corporation and the American Community Survey and included every short-term acute care and critical care hospital that had financial data from 2017 through 2021. The number of hospitals analyzed was 4,423. The study uh, by the RAND Corporation was published in JAMA. Before the pandemic, 36% of hospitals had a negative operating margin. During the pandemic, that dropped to 24%. Wow, that's a huge drop. After a decline of 10% from before the pandemic, just 25% of hospitals were operating with a negative income. Most of the hospitals with a negative income in 20 and 21 had a negative income going into the pandemic, and were unable to turn things around even if they received government re- relief funding. A small number of hospitals, 284, fared substantially worse in the initial pandemic year, suffering negative net operating income after operating positively before the pandemic started. But nearly triple that number fared substantially better, moving from a negative to a positive income. There were some hospitals who did not receive financial, sufficient financial uh, COVID relief funds, these hospitals were more likely to be Hispanic serving. The funding from the federal government played an important role in increasing the profitability of hospitals or helping hospitals avoid pandemic distress. Three out of 10 hospitals avoided pandemic distress because of the funding. And don't forget some of the uh, awful incentives that were. Uh, in place if you didn't if they didn't follow the uh, federal government's uh, guidelines i've never heard of something like this before but if they didn't of course the, the world was new in 2020 in 2021 but uh if they didn't um if they didn't play by the exact rules set down by the feds then they didn't get their bonuses for example I forget how many thousands of dollars the Remdesivir uh cost. But if they use that, I think for five days and the patient uh uh then they would get the payment, of course, the large payment for a drug that was that should have been outlawed. But they also got a twenty percent kicker on top of it for everything else in the uh for everything on top of uh whatever the bill was gonna be. There's... Whoever came up with this, uh, they got a lot of explaining to do after they die. I hope they repent. Uh, but, uh, government assistance played an important role in the increase in other operating revenue and helped to contain what couldn't have, could have been a much more dire situation for hospitals. Yeah. If you had to play, if they had to play by the stupid rules by the federal government, it was dire. So the federal government in a way kind of put them in a trap, uh, You know, if the people in charge had integrity, they would have uh, resigned. You know, that's the way it is. Uh, When you get put in, uh, it's kind of like the churches that didn't shut down and were willing to go to court. Um, They did the right thing. But uh, once again, the lack of integrity in our profession. Truly, truly, truly tragic. So. Hospitals affiliated with academia received more money, as did hospitals with higher numbers of COVID cases, the researchers found. They recommended that policymakers ensure various hospitals receive adequate funding, especially those in rural areas, and focused on critical care. In the new study, researchers found that critical access hospitals received on average about $3 million less than compared to short-term acute care hospitals. Yep. The system is broken and it's broken because the culture is broken and uh, we have got to get things right so that the hospitals are no longer the top priority entity in a community. But instead, the moral foundations need to be uh, cemented, uh, reestablished and cemented in place that the uh, integrity of the people. Certainly can't be found in the hospitals. It must be found in the population at large, and uh, they must have courage to stand by the reality that they're dealing with, rather than uh, the coercion, the illegal, unethical coercions like the mandates for vaccines. Uh, And I'll I'll just remind people of, to me, the most one of the most egregious, certainly to me, maybe the top one or two most egregious unethical things that occurred. In JAMA uh before the vaccines rolled out, they uh they there were JAMA came no New England Journal of Medicine came out with an article with an article showing that uh, there are six criteria that must be met in order uh before considering uh mandating the vaccines. This was before the mandates were in place. Before considering mandating the vaccine overarching all six criteria was the absolute essential, the necessity for there being informed consent. Of course, never was there informed consent, and the other six criteria weren't met. Now, once again, supposed to be before the mandate is considered, the six, all six criteria that must be met, and overarching all six of them would be informed consent. We have gone uh, the way of the Nazis in our demands for for following the uh, totalitarian government's dictates. And uh, as a result, we uh, our profession has been revealed for what it is. Foolish. Uncaring. Greedy. And the hospitals uh, need to pay a price for it. And unfortunately I'm sure these greedy people in charge will... Uh, make the community pay for it rather than holding those accountable for making such egregious decisions. That's it for this week's America Out Loud Pulse. Thank you for joining us. look forward to hearing from you next week.